let's turn our attention to God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 23, I'll be looking at these first four verses. In the sermon that I have entitled, Worthy in Worship. Worthy in Worship. There are chapters in the Bible and books in the Bible, particularly in the book of Psalm, in the book of the Psalms, that are known for their exaltation of God and their movement towards worship. The book of Psalms is known for its lament, crying out to God in worship. It is also known as a book or a collection of adoration and worship to the Lord God Almighty. The first time that the word worship is translated in your English Bible is in Psalm 22 and verse 27. The psalmist writes, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all of the families of the nations shall worship before you. And the word worship in the Hebrew language carries the connotation or the expression to be prostrated before the Lord, meaning that they are kneeled down before the awesomeness of God Almighty, that they are on their knees and face before God Almighty. So think of it this way. When the heart is face down in worship, the posture should follow. That doesn't necessarily mean you've got to fall on your face before the Lord all the time. It certainly wouldn't help. But the position of our heart, falling face down before God in worship, leads to the posture being in humble adoration to the Lord. Man, what a privilege it is to be able to come together and worship Jesus in song. I mean, I think of the song we sang. We, we talk about theological meat. Our God saves. There isn't no more of a robust song, at least something that proclaims our God saves. And to be, able to, to flesh, to be able to flesh that out in Christ alone, it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, it is not of your own works or your own doings. We only boast in Jesus. Amen? We only boast in Christ. So what a privilege it is to be able to sing songs and, and worship the Lord and being confronted by His Word that has the power to change your life and my life. It is the only holy book. It is the only holy book that boasts of being able to change your life perpetually. Long-term change comes through reading God's Word and growing, and growing in it. But on the same time, there has been a lot over the years as far as right modes of worship. Much has been stated and argued over the, the right songs to sing, the right mode to sing, the right order of service to sing. And on all reality, if you probably wouldn't shoot me from the pulpit, I would probably in some way ball this up and toss it to the side. Because we get so uptight about whether the construction of the songs are correct, 
the right mode. Now, I believe one's heart ought to be turned to worship, truly in worship. But the order of the service, I believe, needs to be saturated with, with the glories of Christ and, and needs to surround the Word of God as the Word of God proclaims the Son of God. Because throughout church history, much debate has taken place over the correct order, the correct or proper songs to sing in a setting of worship. Much time has been, has been wasted, I think, to some degree, figuring out the right quote-unquote way to run a worship service. Do we have a praise team? Do we have a praise band? Do we have a choir? Do we mix the two together? What instruments should we be playing in worship? What notes? What key? Now, all of those things are, I think, important to worship, but we spend so much time and effort examining the elements of the song, and we forget to examine the most important and integral part of that song, and that is Jesus, and how the worshiper will be turned to Jesus through the singing of the song. Melody is not as important, is important as theology. Melody is not as important as theology. So we spend more time, I think, examining the logistics and the external things and forget to zero in on Jesus is the very reason that we are singing about. And we forget to examine ourselves under and in light of Christ. Does it really matter if I play a guitar? Does it really matter if I play a bass? Does it matter to you if we play piano or organ or drums? Does it matter if I have a windwood instrument up here? Does it matter if I play the saxophone or the flute? Will it matter if I have broke out an accordion to you? Would you say, that's not appropriate for worship. I remember hearing a guy tell me one time the only appropriate style of music acceptable to God is Southern Baptist music. Man, he, has, he is in for a rude awakening when he gets to heaven. Now, I also believe that this shouldn't be a distraction to you, and it should be done well. I believe that. But does it matter what instruments I play? Does it matter? As long as Jesus is exalted in a robust Christ centered way. What am I getting at through Deuteronomy? What am I getting at, you might be asking. Well, here's what I'm getting at. Why do we worship? Why do we worship? You might say, well, because Jesus saved me. Amen. Now, if we could just build off of that, I think we'll be a whole lot better off. Because Jesus saved me. Another one might say, because it's our duty to serve Jesus. Well, if that is the way that you answered, I hope by the end of this service today that we would be able to change your mind a little bit through the reading of God's Word. It is not our duty that we worship. It is our privilege. It is our honor. It is because we love Jesus and we want to, we want to admire Him with, with not only our, our mouth and our words, but with our lives. It is not a duty. It is not an obligation. It is because He first loved me and you. Worship can be defined in various ways. First, worship is aligning oneself with God's will. It can mean the act of venerating or honoring God. John Piper said this of worship. He said, worship is basically adoration. And we adorn only what delights us, 
There is no such thing as sad adoration or unhappy praise. So what if the sour saints come to sing Ode to Joy, Joyful, Joyful. Oh, we adore Thee. Doesn't move you much, does it? There is no such thing as unhappy, unhappy praise and adoration. We have something to sing about, don't we? We have a reason to worship. It is when our hearts and minds are full of the goodness and the character of God and the nature of God as a saving God, this triune God in all of His majesty, but that we cannot help ourselves but express this through outward praise and adoration. So today I want to speak to you about having the right mind and motives while we approach the Lord in worship. So you hopefully turn to Deuteronomy 23. I'm going to ask you if you'll stand. We're going to read this together. Who would have thought that we would be standing on a Sunday morning reading from the first portions of Deuteronomy 23 with the content therein. So this morning, whatever translation you have, I'm going to read from the King James Version of the Bible because I believe it is a little bit toned down. You might have a modern day translation ESV in your hand and you can see exactly why I'm reading from the King James Version this morning, we are all mature adults, and this is all God's Word. Amen? Amen. So let's read together, and let's see how we can turn to Jesus through these verses. Verse 1. He that is wounded in the stones or has his privy member cut off shall enter into the congregation of the Lord, shall not enter into that congregation. A bastard or illegitimate one shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter through the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter through the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and water in the way, but you came forth out of Egypt. And because they hired against thee Balaam, the sons of Beor, of Pethor, of Mesopotamia, to curse thee. Lord, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to handle this word carefully as we look to Jesus, even in these verses, Lord, as Charles Spurgeon once said, that we make a beeline to the cross. Lord, guide our way to the cross today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, you may be asking yourself, how in the world, preacher, are you going to do that? Right? Every male in here has probably cringed a little bit in their seat when I read that verse, those verses this morning. But you might ask, preacher, what, how are you going to, how are, you, how are we going to navigate to the cross? It becomes not only just an exercise with reading God's Word, but it becomes a way of life for you that no matter where you are in the text, you ask yourself, how can I learn to worship Jesus through this? What do I learn of Christ through this? So today, we are going to look for the appropriate way to enter into worship. I spoke with you earlier about things of worship and some of the obstacles. Let's look and see, for you the worshiper today, both individually and corporately, how we might be able to see Jesus and move us to have a heart of worship. First, I will tell you this, that preparing for worship, preparing for worship takes a lifetime. I remember hearing people say, well, you know, like they have grabbed a hold of this little nugget of truth or something. And they would say, well, you know, worship on Sunday takes a Saturday night affair. You don't just start worshiping on 
Sunday morning, it takes a Sunday or a Saturday evening. And however that quote might go, but the whole point of it is this, that worship is not just on Saturday, it's not just on Sunday, it's every day of your life. It's every single day of your life. You are preparing. Now, hopefully you're here today and you worship the Lord God maybe a little bit differently than you did, say, 20, 30, 40 years ago, whenever you were born again. I hope that you have grown in your worship to King Jesus. You have grown in your faith. I do hope and pray that the, the zealousy that you had at the beginning when you first known Christ to worship has also been captivated and kept over the years, but that you have grown in your worship to King Jesus. It takes a lifetime to worship, uh, to prepare for Worship. Think of it like this. We are preparing now here on earth in this short lifetime for an eternity of worship to King Jesus forever and ever and, and ever. So let's look at this together. Uh, of course, the King James says, He that is wounded in the stones or has his private part cut off shall not enter into the congregation. An illegitimate child shall not enter through the congregation to the tenth generation and so on. Neither will an Ammonite or Moabite will not enter into the congregation as well. So what is this saying to you? 2022 here on a Sunday morning in the first, of, first Sunday of September. How does this speak to you? Well, obviously, it's not a John 3.16 or a Romans 5.8 uh, text-driven sermon, is it? But there are important points that, that we can pull from the text on appropriate worship, which, of course, is one of the common themes in the totality of Scripture. If you were to take the Bible and do what you call lucky dipping, which I do not recommend you do, lucky dipping would be that you just open the Bible and pop your finger down and read. So no matter where you read in the Bible, whether you lucky dip or whether you read in a holistic way the Word of God, no matter where you drop in the Bible, it will have a theme of worship underneath. So let's look at these verses and let's try to think how will they point us to Christ-centered worship. It might be, seem like a weird command for you. And I sent the call out yesterday so you could read ahead. If you read ahead, you're probably like, what in the world? It seems like a weird command to you, but as we said, Deuteronomy, it's God's word too, isn't it? Did somebody say amen? It seems like a weird command to you because we read it with these Western American eyes. And they seem to be so far away from culture that it's hard for us to connect, and so we say, well, this is weird, this is out of character. But you have to remember the Israelites are about to go into a land that is full of paganism and people who do not know the one true God as their God, and given the first opportunity, they would kill every single one of them. So it is vitally important that they remain clean and pure and as they carry themselves in such a way that will reflect the character and nature of God who is eternally pure and who is eternally holy. God has demanded His people to be holy as He is holy. Now your ESV or a modern translation the language that is used would be that if a male had self-mutilated himself, his private area would not be able to enter into the congregation of the Lord. 
And this might seem like such an obscure command for you. In fact, if you have worked through your Bible reading, you may have even scammed or scanned through all of this. You may have even just skipped over it in a way. But let's think about these commands. Genesis 1, chapter 26 and 27 tells us that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And the Latin is that we are the omago Dei, the image of God. So first, this command demonstrates that the Lord values every single human being. God created humankind in His image and in His likeness, so to mar or destroy it in this fashion is an affront to the Creator. And so I would also say on that flip side in the modern day that for one to mar their body, the Imago Dei, would be just as an offense to God or an abomination in this time as it would be to take the life of an unborn child. Made in the image and likeness of God. So to mar this image is an affront to the Creator. Secondly, there was a direct tie to such barbaric actions to pagan deities. So there's a tie to Canaanite gods and idols and those type things. In what is known as the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, the Lord gives these instructions in Exodus 20 and verse 5. Concerning other gods, concerning idols, you shall not bow down to them, you shall not serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Why is God a jealous God? Because He wants your worship and your worship alone. He don't want your attention turned to other gods. He don't want your attention turned to other idols. He don't want your attention to other things in the world. Today, specifically, that pull you away from worship and adoration to God. Anything that comes between your worship of King Jesus is an idol to you. Now, there are three that are forbidden in this text. To enter into the assembly of God. Well, number one, you could not be a eunuch, as is described here. Sometimes eunuch is described or translated prince or princes. It was a very ancient practice for parents in the East by various, uh, in various societies and cultures to mutilate their children in this regard in hopes that they might serve in the house of kings and princes. In some way, try to gain favor. And they themselves, their children, would be able to serve in, in houses of great people and kings and, and so forth. Also, it was ties to, as I mentioned earlier, these paganistic occultic practices. There was the issue of number two, the illegitimate the illegitimate child. These are groups of people, not so much about children being born out of wedlock as much as they are being born in some type of sinful, incestuous union. So these would be children that were born not only out of wedlock, but there was some type of incest that happened, some sinful incest that happened therein. Number three would be the Ammonite and the Moabite. Now in this group of people, 
Ahad more of the, what we would consider to be the soothsayers, the future tellers, those who practice the occult, those who sought other things as their answers and wisdom instead of the one true God. And so they would, uh, they would practice divination, they would practice soothsaying or fortune, teller, fortune telling the occult, they would, uh, they would mimic speaking or consulting to de- the dead. Ultimately, this whole group would seek to trap God's people in abominations of idolatry. This whole group of people would set out to seduce God's people away from their allegiance to the one true God. And so, these are the ones who are prohibited. They are the ones that are prohibited in the text of joining in the assembly. Now, we must keep in mind that the Lord is preparing His people for the ultimate goal of Messiah. He is teaching them the value of approaching Him in holiness. We have seen it in Genesis. We have seen it in Exodus. We have seen it in Leviticus. We have seen it in Numbers. And we have seen it also in Deuteronomy. He is building the foundation for the introduction into all of history of Messiah. And He is teaching the importance of approaching Him, God, in holiness as we worship Him. The words come to mind, clean hands and clean hearts before Him. This may seem like this command is only, only for the males, but I think there is also an underlining current. There's a footnote here. So this is where our men in the house would perk up a little bit. This is where the men in the congregation would listen a little bit closer to this. Because what is more important is the leadership of the men as they were to lead their homes in in worship. Husbands and fathers, you are responsible for the spiritual direction of your home. By spiritual direction, I mean that you are to point them to worship. You are to point them to the worship of Jesus and to seek to be pure in thought and to be pure in action. Now, This isn't legalism. This is who we are as Christ followers, striving to be more like Jesus. We are striving to be more like Christ in our lives. We are moving forward to that mark of perfection, but never quite ever really truly reaching that mark of creation or perfection until we are home with our Lord Jesus. Romans 6 and verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid, by no means. How can we, who have died to sin, how can we still live in our sin? Are we to say, well, let us sin today, God will forgive us tomorrow. Beloved, say to the Lord who's gone on to be with Jesus now, used to call this greasy grace. Greasy grace. Are we to rely so much on the grace of God that we sin and would say, well, God will take care of that sin. I'm just old school. I believe that when God saves you, He changes you. And you don't want to go back to sin. You don't want to give excuses for living in sin. You want to be different. We are a new creation, new creature in Christ. We don't want to live in, in that sin. Now, back to preparation to worship. Back to preparation for this time of worship. Of course, these people have been groomed by their culture 
and circumstances really to be against the holiness of the God of the universe by the prince and power of this world, by Satan himself. So these people have been groomed to be against, really, by, uh, to be against um, the people of God and God himself, uh, who, by the way, requires pure and holy worship and dedication to him. Israel was to be a light to the nations. They were to point, live in such a way that they would point the rest of the world to look upon their one and true God. So not only were these commands set to enforce a true heart of worship to the Lord, but they were also intended to protect the lineage and posterity of the people. Now, you might say, where is the grace of God in all of this? To be sure, historically speaking, that people who sometimes were born out of wedlock could come to the Lord, or who, have, who have, were born and raised up in some type of, of paganistic way or occultic way, to be sure that they can come to the Lord. And you're right, because later in Israel's history, the grace of God is realized in a very robust way by allowing the repentant worshiper into the congregation. Isaiah 53 is a prime example. It is a turn of events that transpires in favor of the eunuch or of the illegitimate. I want you to listen to these words in Isaiah 56 and verse 3 through 5. Listen carefully. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say that the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, we just talked about by the way, Behold, I am a dry tree bearing no fruit. Bearing no fruit, bearing no offspring. For the Lord said to the eunuchs who keep my commandments, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a better name than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now I love the Hebrew language in this occasion that not only connects the eunuch with Deuteronomy 23, but also uses in its language a lot of wordplay. Thus the very end of verse 5. So how did they prepare for worship? How did they prepare for worship? Well, here's how they prepared for worship. And by the way, this is how we prepare for worship too. Number one, they prepare to worship by repenting. Do you know it has always been God's will that you repent of your sin? It has always been God's will that you repent. It means to turn from your sin. It means to turn away from that thing that has entrapped you so. By repenting and by holding fast to the word of God. Thus, holding fast to my covenant, the Lord says. So, it is by repenting. It is by, is by getting in the word of God. And even though this declaration was given from Isaiah's time, 2,762 years ago, these truths still stand today. Get in God's Word, repent of your sin, and turn to Him. So, what are the prerequisites? School started back. Some have started back in college. You know, if you want to advance to the next grade, or if you want to advance in your degree program, you have to meet certain prerequisites, right? So what are the prerequisites for worship? Well, first and foremost, and most importantly, as Jesus met with Nicodemus, what were his famous words in John chapter 3? Ye must 
be born again. This is the first prerequisite that cannot be sidestepped. If one is not in Jesus, they cannot participate in worship. Sure, they can come and sit. They can sit under the reading of the Word. They can hear the Word of God. They can even understand it. But as far as true and genuine worship, you must be born again. There is no one alive physically who can worship the Lord, who is alive, who can worship Him as they are dead in their sins. No one, who is alive, no one who is alive physically can worship the Lord who they themselves are dead spiritually. Now, we are dead and we are in our sins outside the regenerate work of Christ that He makes us alive and He saves us. So it took a lifetime for, these, uh, for the eunuchs here and for those listed in Deuteronomy chapter 1 it took a lifetime or for the Ammonite uh, pagan to be groomed against the values and the truth of God. And, and so we are groomed a lifetime towards worship of King Jesus. Secondly, we saturate our lives with the truth of God's Word. So we said we must be born again. Secondly, we saturate our lives with the truth of God's Word. And how do we know the truth of God's Word? Will we get in God's Word? If our intake of the Bible is dry and almost non-existent, then our worship will be as well. So it is important to get in God's Word. Now, let me ask you a question. You can raise your hand if you want. You don't have to. I'm not going to embarrass anybody in here. I'm not single on anybody. I don't care if you raise your hand on this or keep it down. But how many believe that the Bible is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Show of hands or not. All right, so follow-up question to that. If we believe that God's Word is the infallible, inerrant Word of God, and that speaks life itself, that shows us how we can come into fellowship with the God of all of creation, then why do we neglect it so? Again, if our intake of the Word of God is dry and non-existent, then our worship will be as well. And let me, let me tell you this, not only will your worship be dry, even if you know the Lord, but your worship will be, without God's Word, self-centered. It will be self-centered. And as you know, worship is not about you. It's about, it's about Him. So here's a good indicator of how this would look. Now, speaking from personal experience. This is a good indicator of how this would work when you're not intaking Scripture as you should. A good marker or indication of that, of that truth is this. If you are impatient when we gather in times of worship, especially when the reading and exposition of the Bible, you need more Bible. You need more scripture. Now, I hope I'm not boring enough to where you say, bro, Pastor, you're just boring. You just put me to sleep. I hope that's not the case. And I might be boring sometimes, that being aside. And if we grow impatient in the worship, we might be looking, it's time to go. Maybe we need more scripture. Maybe we need a Bible, biblical intake in our life. So you must be born again. You must be in God's word daily. 
you must have a lifestyle of prayer. A lifestyle of prayer. Now that don't mean that you're walking down the aisle at the grocery store with your eyes closed and you're praying as you go in life, but a continual lifestyle of prayer, as the Apostle Paul says, that we pray without ceasing. We're talking to God all the time. In some way, we're connecting to the Lord. Pray without ceasing. doesn't mean 24 hours a day, every second of the day that we are praying, but we have a lifestyle of worship where we, hey, I need, I need to spend some time with God in prayer. I need to spend some time with God in prayer today. So you must foster this lifestyle of prayer. How do we, worship? How do we prepare for worship? You must be in fellowship with fellow believers. You must be in fellowship with fellow believers. We all need somebody in our life to help groom us, to help shape us, to help conform us. You might say, hey, I can do it by myself. And you might be able to. And if you can grow in your faith by yourself without other believers, well, then you need to take somebody with you. You need to take somebody with you and disciple them. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. We need community and we need fellowship. Every day is preparation day for the worship of King Jesus. And if I was to lay out chapter 23, uh, 23 of Deuteronomy, it would look something like this with an overstatement, uh, overview statement. Let's say something like this. This chapter, it gives instruction for holiness it gives instruction for purity in the assembly of Israel. And we could say, in the assembly of the church. And it sets parameters for certain rights and duties of, of citizens, of their citizenship. The commands are given, as we just read, of unclean, from the unclean entering, forbidden to unclean the congregation, in the, into the congregation. And then to enforce these laws of the unclean person in the camp when there is something that is indecent that is done. We find that in in verse 9, there is the protection of the, of the fugitive uh, and not to deliver them back over to the master. So there's an element of grace and mercy mixed in to these uh, verses and commands. There is to retain the filthy person or the thing, the filthy thing to be brought into the house of the Lord. Those things, now that speaks to you and me. The filthy things that are on our heart and mind, they need not have place in God's house. So it is renewing the mind daily. It is thinking on those things that hinder in worship and purging them from our lives. There are a few various laws of extortion and money in verse 19. And then the chapter concludes with some directions on how to behave in your neighbor's, neighbor's vineyard or, your, or their cornfield. So this is, uh, it, it all leads up to how to be in community and love one another uh, as, we, as we love one another, as we love God too. So much of Deuteronomy, as I mentioned, has this underlining theme of appropriate worship, and, and of course there's no exception here. In fact, the violent and the obscene scene that I read in the acts of, of the eunuch and this illegitimate, uh, the illegitimate children only really enforce the point that God demands clean hands and clean hearts in worship. And in the grand scheme of all human history, in the grand scheme of, of, of all salvation history, only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ can supply this true cleansing in our lives. We can't do it ourselves. We can't keep it ourselves. I remember hearing, I think it was... Uh, Brother R.C. Sproul or Vadi Bachman that once said, if I could lose my salvation, I would. If I could lose my salvation, I would. So it takes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus who supplies this cleansing. Why? 
Well, because we are cleansed from our sin by the work of Messiah and His work. So in closing, so let me ask you this. How have you prepared for worship today? Was it a Sunday night or Saturday night reflection? Was it a weekly reflection? Is it a lifestyle of reflection? Have you spent time with the Lord this week in prayer, seeking Him? Spending some alone time with God? Have you searched the Scriptures to find Him out? Have you spent time in God's Word? Now, I ask the Lord continually to forgive me of my self-centeredness and my neglect for the Word of the Lord and for neglecting prayer in my life. One would think that pastors have all the time in the world to pray and to get in personal Bible study, but it is a struggle, let me tell you. What excludes us from worship? What excludes us from worship? Number one, not knowing Him. Remember, you must be born again. What if we don't know Him as Lord at all? Uh, at all, Then how is our hindrance, our worship hindrance? Well, unrepentant sin hinders our worship. If we know the Lord Jesus, unrepentant sin hinders our worship. It clouds our vision of who Jesus is. Why? Because we're so consumed with our sinfulness that we can't see the Savior. I want to ask you if you'll, if you'll stand with me and we're going to read this verse together. Stand with me and I'm going to read this in closing and then we'll pray together. Colossians 2 verse 6 and 7 Give some good instructions towards worship that I think are helpful. So we're going to close in these verses. Colossians 2 and verse 6 says, Therefore, so Paul's finishing his argument. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, you who are born again, so walk in Him, abide in Him. Your lifestyle is in Him. Everything you do is in Christ. Your whole life, the totality, what you say, what you hear, what you what you, uh, what you see, what you feel is in Christ. Rooted and built up in Him, edified in Him, and established in the faith, faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Are you glad that Jesus saved you? Give thanks. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Him, and, and the Lord is calling you to, to come to the altar to ask forgiveness of your sins. So I'll ask you this and we'll close. Have you searched God out in His Word? Have you searched the Scriptures to see of Christ? Have you spent time this week in prayer? Have you spent time with the saints learning and growing? Have you spent time with the precious Lord this week?